We have the we legend, have. the myth, oh, I like that. future president. Thank you. We the, have Shai for you today. The, the attorney general. <laughs> Actually, can you just tell us about yourself and like what you do? That way the audience is like a little more familiar with why do we have you on? Sure. I'm sure everyone knows who you are and they know everything about you, guys, but just for the one person. Well, don't you guys have like a nationwide audience? You know, yeah, we reach. Know working on it, working on yeah. it. I mean international, really. <laughs> there you go. You've got to think big. Growth has been good. Business is booming. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> so I'm Amina. Um, I'm originally, my family's from Palestine, as I mentioned. Um where they're from, but I was born over here in the United States in a small town called Belleville, Illinois, which is a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I was born. That's where I grew up. Went through high school there. I went to college at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, where I studied social work. And then I went to directly from undergrad into law school at St. Louis University. Um, and I now have a job at a law firm called Thompson Coburn, and I do corporate law, transactional banking law. So it's fun. I enjoy it. I've been in practice for a little over a year now. And in addition to that, so I guess a little more about me. Yeah, I have kind of a nonprofit background in general, studied social work in college, and coming out of that, coming through graduate school, my friends and I wanted to do something to help kind of the community that we related to most, which was Muslim women coming through mm -hmm. college. So, you know, where I grew up, there were not many Arab in my high school, in my grade school. In college, I was... This is what I'm, I was saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Meet more Muslims and, you know, Arab from various backgrounds. Like, I never had the chance to meet people from Iraq, from Syria, from other parts of the world, um, or whose families were from those parts of the world. A lot of friends who were originally from Pakistan, just a lot of diversity. And making all these female Muslim friends in college, we all kind of had a similar struggle, and that was that we felt like we were kind of, you know, making our own path. We didn't have role models. A lot of us didn't have women in our families who had kind of gone through college and who had careers yeah. at this time. And so you have no one to look up to, right. or no one to no one's path to follow. Right. So we kind of wanted to bond together and it all started in um, my first year out of college. We did a panel. So St. Louis University Muslim Students Association holds a conference every year. It's pretty big. They get a big draw of about like 300 people, I would say, yeah. to attend their winter conference. And it's mostly mm -hmm. religious based, but um, we got a slot to do something called You Can Have It All, which was a panel of Muslim women who have careers or, you know, heading towards a career and also, you know, how they kind of balance doing that and balancing family life. You know, some of these women are married with kids or just generally being a Muslim woman in that space. And we held this panel. We had five women on it. One was a pharmacist, a pharmacy professor. One had her own business. One was in, I think, finance. And we had each one talk about kind of her career, where she got where she was. And we had a big draw. We had probably like 50 or 100, you know, college Muslim girls attend this panel. And so when it concluded, everyone was like, this was awesome. Like, thank you guys so much for doing this. W when's the next, you know, kind of thing? Like, where can we see more of this? So there was a hype around it. Yeah. Okay. There was really a hype. And I think people yeah. just being in that space and having that discussion was a big deal for Muslim women because, you know, we were coming up through college and applying to graduate school, applying to jobs, and we just didn't have the space to kind of discuss these issues of what it's like being a Muslim woman 
going through this path and facing these unique challenges. When you talk about that's your story and like the reason why you were doing that, because there's nobody doing it, there's no one there helping other women that are because it's such a new it's such a new frontier. That's exactly why we started this podcast. And it seems like everyone in our community has the same problem. It's like, where is everybody? It's like, we don't have, it's like, where's the platform for everyone to help each other? Right. And it's like, it's like two sides of the same coin. You guys, you did it through a women's panel. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do it through a podcast. Or if you look at someone like Muslims of the world, they're trying to do it through social, like different, different social medias. It's like, what is that? Why is there nothing? It's it's fascinating even because you had such a good reaction because no one else is doing it either. Right. And you were you were paving that path. Isn't it strange that like there's like, no one? Also, also for them, they had like a crowd, right? So they generated enough hype where they had to like fill in a gap, fill in a void that was already there. Like for them, maybe like individually, like they realized these things, but like no one ever like questioned mm-hmm. it. But because there was like so much hype around it, like oh my god, like we need to do something about it. Yeah. I guess that sparked that. Yeah. The need is there. It's just the platform's not. Yeah. Can you fill it in? It's a common problem that all women face. I mean, I can't say all. That's a blanket statement. But majority of Arabi or Muslim women face this issue. And, I mean, this is part of your guys' podcast idea. It's it's just the things we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. So you might talk about it here and there amongst your girlfriends. But is it really a recognized issue that everyone you know, acknowledges the problem, works towards solutions. You know, I, I didn't think so. Right. I didn't think there was really like a, an acknowledgement of that and a space to work forward towards solving it because truly it's it's a problem. And I, I think every woman, young woman kind of goes through those struggles and it's a very unique struggle. It's not something she can really relate, you know, outside of other women who have been through it. Why did you guys pick a nonprofit as a way to help solve this problem? Yeah, so that's actually interesting because it kind of came about organically. So from the panel, you know, as, as I mentioned, we got a lot of positive uh, feedback on that panel. And Aruna, my friend, who was really spearheading it, was like, we need to take this and do something. Like, this has been a goal of mine, you know, just and seeing this energy. I'm so excited. Who was that? Something. Aruna Tor. Uh, Aruna. She's also oh, okay. Louis. I know Aruna, yeah. yeah. Her family's from Pakistan originally. Um, she also went to St. Louis University. And she's like, we need to do something. So the next step, we didn't immediately form a nonprofit. What we did was a database, an online questionnaire, and we set up a mentoring program. So what we wanted to do was collect data from women in the area. We were focused on St. Louis, and we wanted to collect data from women who were willing to mentor and then women who wanted to be mentored. So they would be mentor-mentee matches. We took data, you know, uh, education, field of focus, um, goals. Um, what does that look like, taking data? How do you get the data? We did it through, I think, a Google survey is how we collected it, and then it ended up all in a spreadsheet. A so Google we had like names and phone, you know, contact information. That's really big, getting emails, getting phone numbers. For sure. Um, and we had it all laid out. <laughs> we had a couple of evenings where the four of us, there was four or five of us girls who started it, sat down in a cafe with all of this information and made matches, like put together pairs, like, oh, she's a doctor, she's a medical student, boom, boom. like, here's the match. <laughs> like Tinder. And it was like, <laughs> and really, it was looking back. It's like Tinder for Adobe with <laughs> net- professional well, networking. But it, there was more thought, I think, well, maybe maybe Tinder has a really advanced, you know, yeah, like, right. um, 
There was no kind al- of fun, algorithm. Though. No algorithm. <laughs> right, it's you're doing it. Brain. You get to pick like she's a good student. Okay, she gets to go with this doctor. Like, nah, I don't know about her. Maybe she needs to go. Well, there was a lot of that, and it's funny because St. Louis, for those of you who know, it's a small community. Right. So we kind of knew many of these women personally, <laughs> and we were like, oh, th- this could be a need for her. Like, I know her, and I know she would. I know what she wants. <laughs> somebody who could serve this need, but seriously, you know. You, you meet somebody and you can tell what would be helpful for them. Right, what, right. Are, what are some unique things that, you know, someone else could provide them. So you go on Google and then you just create a survey and you send it out? Or? Yeah, there's something called Google Forms. I, I believe this is Sorry, Hamad is like, lives like in the 1980s. <laughs> he has, Google he doesn't drive, know how to Google use Instagram. Drive. He doesn't know how to use anything. So we literally have to like dumb it down. Google for him, Drive but. is a free for anyone starting a nonprofit or anything. Google Drive has every possible. It has surveys. It has polls. It has scheduling. It has everything you could possibly need. So you send in one email a link, and everyone goes on, and you have you know question by question. What's your name? What's your where? You know what are your goals? You just yeah. it. and then You're it really exports it that. to an Excel sheet, which you as a finance person can appreciate. I think Excel. Yep. So. Um, yeah, but anyway, we kind of got together and uh, we parsed that out, matched everyone up. We sent these emails, um, and Aruna had participated in a lot of mentoring programs. Um, she was a Gates Millennial Scholar, mm-hmm. and that kind of shaped the way she viewed education because, um, not to give her personal story, but she also felt that way growing up. She didn't have many mentors, um, but she had this opportunity through this scholarship to get mentors nationally and she felt like that really shaped her education and what she was able to you know accomplish and reach so we used some of her materials we sent out emails matching mentors mentees i'm okay right now thank you um and that response was pretty positive you know obviously it's hard to get people to follow through Mm -hmm. when you say here's your mentee here's how we would like you to go about this you know monthly check-ins meetings in person at least whatever we had said twice a year you know and kind of give them the outline of how to go about doing this so that's really where we started and I think what happened from there is that we realized on on the micro level kind of leaving it up to just one-on-one it wasn't going to have as much of an impact they don't follow through so so you when you leave it up to one-on-one people don't follow through it just felt like Either people weren't able to follow through or we didn't have enough oversight to really be able to see the impact or ensure that anything. Oh, you don't know what's going on. Right. We don't know what's being done. So we decided at that point to make it a formal kind of group organization. We weren't a nonprofit at that point, just, you know, legally. But we made a group. We did our research. We looked into how to form a nonprofit, you know, how to fund it, how to file with the state to be recognized as a, you know, tax exempt organization and do all these things and really working on how to build our following. Is it right? Social media oh, is yeah. a big way. We went with email. I know that's not really your forte. Oh, what but, year is it? But <laughs> <laughs> with an email listserv um, where we would do regular updates. So basically subscribe to our listserv, you know, Muslim Women's Professional Network, get all of our updates this way. We had a newsletter, a monthly newsletter where we featured events we were doing we featured a woman of the month who we kind of interviewed and talked about her professional journey and um what she was doing just to highlight that and it took off from there we had one big what we call the networking reception um and probably had almost 100 women attend and it was amazing just being in that space and people knowing our goal and our mission they were so excited to be there and to be in that space 
and to be a part of it. And, you know, that's that's kind of how we started. I love hearing about how these things start. If you had to define what is the mission, like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have your mission statement and all that. Yeah, we're working on that, too. (laughs) (laughs) So our our mission is to empower and connect Muslim women with a focus on Mm -hmm. professional development and a a focus on highlighting Muslim women's contributions to society in the, you know, that sense of professionalism. So we really serve that Mm -hmm. sphere of building yourself professionally, um, community wise. You know, yes, we are a Muslim women's network. We're a little more secular in the sense that if you identify as a Muslim woman, you know, you can be a part of our group. We don't do anything that's really, we've had events that are a little bit religiously focused but in general it's it's more about the identification of yourself as a muslim woman and these these common struggles and i know your guys's podcast is you know for out at large mm-hmm. and i think that when i've i have a lot of um arabi women friends who are not muslim who are christian or something else mm-hmm. and they relate to many of the same issues my best friend in college was um christian and palestinian background and she and i just we're exactly on the same page as far as yeah. It's a, a, the, a the, I mean, the culture is the same. Yeah. A lot of the same problems too. Mm-hmm. So. What made you go with Muslim women? Because we struggle with that too. We're like, do we? Uh, who we focus on? We focus on Muslim, Middle Eastern, American. We focus on Daisy as well. Like yeah. So it was about the diversity, and I think going through college, you meet so many people of so many backgrounds, and for us, you know. Obviously, my friends were of Pakistani background, like I mentioned. We have women in our network who are white women, who are African-American women, who are African, who are, you know, so many different backgrounds. And it felt like, especially in the climate, I think the political climate at that time with kind of the ideas about Islam and especially as women, I don't wear hijab, but for women who do wear hijab, that they're all blanketed, you know, into one group. Mm. So I think for us, it was important to capture that diversity And at the end of the day, I think as a Muslim woman, there are special challenges. You know, if you wear the hijab, if you have to fast at work, if you have to stop and pray at work, you know, if you don't have certain beliefs that you're uncomfortable with. And I think there's a lot of commonality and a lot of diversity. So we kind of got like the best of both worlds Mm -hmm. in that way. So I know you guys are a nonprofit. So how do you attract other Muslim women in the community? Yeah, I mean, so... We do outreach in a few ways. We've we've done obviously tabling at mosques because mm-hmm. that would be a central place right, to find a lot place. of Muslim women. So it's a pretty good spot to the extent that <laughs> there there's a platform for that. If there's any events, for example, um, the Masjid Darul Jalal did um, a day where they had a lot of vendors and things, and we were part of that. Care did something where they had tabling and we were part of that but as far as reaching you know more diverse sectors Mm -hmm. that is a challenge for us we're still working on that obviously first what's the organization's name the organization is called the muslim women's professional network of st louis muslims women professional network mwpn you got it sounds like a like a rap uh, (laughs) we are mwpn yes so you accept muslim women who are trying to navigate a career yes you bring them into a network. You match them up with a mentor. Right. And and the mentoring aspect now at this point has become just one of the programs we do. So we have a mentoring program. It's optional. You don't have to right. register for it. So we kind of revamped that part of it. But, yeah, essentially you can be a part of the network, 
get notified as to all of our events, all of our programming, and then attend what you want to, volunteer at what you want to, and join us in that way. And um, that's kind of the direction we've been going. So wow. if you don't want to do the mentorship, there's mm-hmm. events to go to and there's like a community service. Exactly. That... Yeah, there's a lot of different events. So um, one that we held recently was our fashion show. So we did oh, a fashion show this. where we featured Muslim women designers who have product lines, um, local and nationally, and then kind of focused it on those designers as well as um professional looks so looks you can wear in the workplace as a muslim woman whether you're you know hijab or not hijab and it was a fun time it's also served as a networking platform we had appetizers and mocktail drinks you know because most of our members don't drink alcohol but um it was a way to get together network and meet people showcase those designers who have taken that route in their career as far as you know being in fashion and then showcase what okay. you could possibly wear in the workplace okay that makes sense that's one example because in my head i'm thinking it's, yeah. it's just a mentorship but no there's all these events there's and a lot activities. of events um we, can you name some of the events that you guys held sure we we've done something called the fireside chat series um is that like a podcast no, um, the only kind of digital content we've done is a Ramadan web series video where we had women talk about oh, okay. their experience of fasting in the workplace, and we published are videos. Where are you publishing? That. We are on Instagram, Facebook. Those videos are on Damn, YouTube. I gotta follow so, you guys. Yeah, Wait, you can do. I follow? Am I allowed? <laughs> is it like a allowed. closed group? You're definitely no. It's not a. <laughs> but we do have a closed group for more posts. Like, Let me get in there. Let me get knows? in there. Wow. <laughs> Kidding. Okay. I we, need we have a very strict rule. <laughs> we filter our phones. I just sneak um, in there. But no, we um, the fireside chat series is where a Muslim woman who's experienced and you know established within her career, she opens up her home. It's a pretty intimate gathering. 10, 15, 20 women come. We have snacks. We have tea. And that woman shares her professional journey, Damn. some of her struggles, answers questions. I like that. And it's usually focused. So we've had, because we try to run the gamut as far as careers. So you can be a member of our network no matter what career you're going for. So for Fireside Chats, we've had a doctor, we've had a lawyer, we've had um, business women, we've had professors. So we just, we had a woman who actually is formally educated in Islam, and she took that route, but she's also a doctor. <laughs> so so we've had a lot of different careers it's for like that. A, yeah, it's like a tight gathering. We're going to steal some like of those that events. I mean, you know, we're going to like just come and just... Proprietary. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, in my so head, <laughs> no, I read, because I really like that. And you know what? There's no Muslim men right, organization exactly. having fireside chats. <laughs> and you guys would face unique struggles as well. That's why we have this podcast. I don't know sure. what those struggles are, per se. Oh, wow. We have struggles, I mean, okay? <laughs> we have struggles. That's why we have this podcast. We're trying Fair to talk enough. about these struggles. But actually, it's very interesting because you were what? literally saying what I was saying in like our first promo. It's like I had no one in high school to relate to. When I'm looking up at people, there's no one in the, in the Arab or Muslim community. I can be like, oh, this is a p- career or a path I can follow. Yeah, and the is thing this, is... Is born out of the same exact struggle. Yeah, and we coming up noticed that while all of our friends and colleagues who were not of our background were just easily getting jobs I know, because right. I dog sat for him, you know, when right. I was little and he, my neighbor is the CEO of this. You know, we, we don't have that natural network, nope. I think. A lot of times as immigrants, I mean, funny story, I literally, when I was about to take the LSAT or planning to take the LSAT, which is the law school admissions test, I 
I I found an ad on Craigslist for a guy selling used books because I didn't you know have money to sign up for a fancy. It's that college life. We get it. We get it. We got you. Literally found this Craigslist ad and went. I I brought a friend with me. You know, safety first. brought a friend with me to go meet up with this guy to buy these LSAT books. This guy sat me down for like two hours to tell me all about like law school application process and how you can get all these scholarships and how you can get all these fee waivers for your applications, like things I would have had no idea about, gave me all of these materials and books to read and told me it's really important that you read this book, you know, to learn about admissions and this one to learn about law. He was a random guy on Craigslist, you know, and and I, I that taught me so much, like that really helped my admissions wow. process. But I didn't want but it's sad. You have to, to have to go through that, right? Oh, right, right. <laughs> like, random got through Craigslist, like yeah. Like a random Craigslist guy really, like, you know, shout out Josh on Craigslist, really helped What me a guy, but. <laughs> right. He never even went to law school, but. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, but I don't know if you should listen to <laughs> But seriously, it was, it was super helpful. But I'm just thinking, why did I have to meet a guy on Craigslist, you know, to get this yeah. information? Why is there no platform where I can see women who I'm comfortable with and everyone's comfort i've talked to men uh, most of my mentors have been men coming through my career just because of you know the nature of the field and like i mentioned not having role models but why isn't there a more central platform where women can be comfortable you know um to to find a connection Mm -hmm. that can help them through that and and it's literally because no one built it and then you're building it right no one talked about it i mean it's Mm -hmm. wow (laughs) way to use our our name So any tangible outcomes from MWPN? Yeah, I mean, I would say our outcomes, we definitely have had women reach out with particular needs. Um, so there was a woman um, who came from Syria. She was a graphic designer over there. Um, she has her degree, has credentials, and was looking to get a job here. And one of our members, who's also a graphic designer, um, met with her, fixed up her portfolio, her resume, mm-hmm. and was in the process of helping her apply to jobs. I not sure whether she landed something yet, but you know that's just an example of the way our network works. Someone will shoot us an email and be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm applying to these programs. You know, do you guys have any information? Do you have any resources for me?" And we set them up and connect them with somebody. Um, we help so women who do own businesses will come to us first a lot of the times and be like, "I have this opening. You know, full time position. It's." for this, this, and that. Do you guys have anyone who can fit this position? And then we spread the word and help to connect them um, to have a woman, you know, potentially apply and get that position. Um, so, I, you know, we haven't really done an outcome study or something where we have it all laid out, but mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of that. And, and when we do have these big networking events, women meet each other who find they can help connect each other. Oh, you're you know, an engineer, oh, wow, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm applying for this or I'm working here and, you know, I want to I wanna get connected. Can you help me out? So there's a lot of those stories that go on when we're, you know, holding. It's like that butterfly things. effect where you, you probably really couldn't even comprehend the amount of effect you've had. Right, right. And we also have a scholarship fund going right now. We've raised, I think, almost $3,000. And wow. that's going to go to a girl in high school who's coming up, um, you know, applying to college. And wants to pursue college and needs some financial help and so we're gonna do that and you know give that to a recipient when the time that's awesome good work good work so this is we gotta step our shit right we gotta like have a scholarship fund or something we're gonna take over yeah yeah. Uh i want a fireside (laughs) chat (laughs) hookah side chats (laughs) 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 okay so part of so part of why we have you on today is to kind of like discuss women's education right and 
why is that important for like Arab Muslim mm-hmm. woman? Well, not just Muslim, but like just Arab women in general. Sure. I think we can start the conversations in our families, frankly. I mean, the organization is great, mm-hmm. but it's there because there's a problem. And so if the problem didn't exist, you know, the organization, it would be fun and great to Wouldn't get together, flourish. right? It would, mm-hmm. it would be more of just a networking thing. But I think the underlying problem, we kind of, I would like to see a shift in the way we view women in our culture. And um, that, I think, would, would be most beneficial. It's almost like this is a problem because a shift is happening where it's like Muslim women are getting educated. And it's so new that there isn't any platform for them to navigate this career space. So it's almost like it's a problem born out of the shift. Do you think it's, you think it is shifting? There's a shift and I I think it's awesome that women are able to pursue education. But but that being said, I I don't think women and Arabi women are taken seriously when they are pursuing careers. When you say that, like by who? By the culture in general, I, I, I think, you know, from my experience, when a woman's pursuing a career, it it's kind of cute, right? <laughs> like, like people don't really look at her and, and say, like, believe she can do it for one thing. And then if she does do it, it's not really the focus and the forefront of her identity or people don't really acknowledge it. I, just speaking mm-hmm. from personal experience, like, I'm an attorney, and that's fine, but, you know, nobody ever asks me about that when I go to family gatherings, when I'm amongst, you know, other Arab. I, I feel like it's kind of just there. It's it's almost hush-hush. It's, it's not really something that I can discuss mm-hmm. in a normal setting, and, and people take me seriously and ask me questions because they're curious. It, it's, it's kind of strange to them. They don't really know how to approach it. That's interesting. But, but I feel like for men, a lot of times, it's like, oh, he's the... Oh, 100%, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, yeah. we're gonna. So, do you feel like it. there's no, you're not getting maybe the the respect or the uh, appreciation? Is that from the women? Is that from men? Is that from? I think it's both because I think it's trailblazing. I mean, it's it's more at least in my upbringing, it, it's very uncommon that a woman is a professional. You know, at, for sure. In my upbringing, all the women I saw did not attend college. They got married young. They had kids, and you know, raised those kids. You know and they didn't really have their own career. So so it's something new, and I think it's something a little uncomfortable because of the societal expectations of a woman's role a lot of times mm-hmm. doesn't mesh with her That's having a full-time career. So there's this underlying concern <laughs> when a woman has a, has a career. There's yeah. this underlying concern in her family. It's actually, face. like, super interesting. And I, I think I sent you some numbers um, mm-hmm. regarding this. So Middle Eastern woman... Like the graduates from like universities, like all over the Middle East, are like at seventy percent. They're outperforming men in STEM, in humanities, in life sciences, and like that's all over the Middle East, not just like like Palestine or Jordan, like even in conservative like Saudi Arabia. So there is more graduates from college that who are women. They're having less babies. They're landing jobs. They're outperforming a lot of like men in their in their own field. So we've seen like what's her name, Tawakul Kaman, the Yemeni. Uh, journalist who won the Nobel uh, Peace Prize. We've seen her. We've seen Egyptians, women, kind of like stand up against like sexual assault and mm-hmm. sexual harassment. We've seen Libyan and Tunisian women ask and demand representation in whenever they're forming the new government after the Arab Spring. 
So we've seen like all these like, you know, women across the spectrum in the Middle East kind of like just rise up to power, having their voices being heard. But like, I feel like here in the U.S., there's a lot of skepticism. <laughs> it got worse. God. That's amazing. Please don't edit that out. <laughs> there's a lot of doubt coming from the U.S. Mm-hmm. regarding like Arab women and like how they view them. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Wait, we got to ask her, do you agree with that, first of all? Right. Is there you a doubt? You can't lie with numbers, bro. Those are facts. No, but you're saying in the in the States you feel like there's doubt. Is there a doubt? I mean, here in the U.S., I feel like Americans like don't mm-hmm. view Middle East women as like successful, as people who are mm-hmm. like out here doing like Like other uh, American autumns or? I mean, I guess American autumns or just in general, like just here in the U.S. I mean, they're doing amazing. I mean, yeah. even like in Saudi Arabia, right? Like a few of them got arrested for like driving without having the ability yeah, to drive yeah, yeah, they were yeah. like making music videos you know and dancing. Okay, so, so there's a lot of like uprising there's like a shift because like, right. a, a revolution that's like you know going like right. unnoticed but like you know it's because it's because it seems to me because and we it was just spoken about about the event of muslims of the world it's this massive media like um bias about our religion and the way we treat our women it's like it's absolutely it's crushing and maybe we're fighting that Maybe, like, people are still blinded. Do you know what I mean? I think, yeah, I I think abroad there's been a political shift, and it's brought to the forefront kind of like, for example, like the Ferguson protests here. People are very aware now that there's an issue because it's Mm -hmm. become very clear. Um, and, And I think maybe here that hasn't quite occurred yet because American Muslims are pretty comfortable. You know, we have this family structure. We have these traditions. We're not fighting two cultures, but in a way, we're, we're trying to live out both cultures. So we're American, you know, we have this Arabi background. There's certain things that we value from that background that we're trying to kind of hang on to. And, and so we're balancing that with our American identities and not quite ready to, you know, make that shift because I, I think from a cultural standpoint, there's comfort and there's traditions and there's things that, you know, we've kind of stuck to more over here to kind of cling on to those values because we have those freedoms and luxuries and comforts where, you know, legally women are equal. But I think culturally there's still an imbalance as to how women are viewed in that space, if that makes sense. There, there's no immediacy and no push for it other than, you know, women are able to go to college and then not really sure what to do or, or not encouraged to do anything further. But over there, I think it's a real issue. It's it's a true, like, legal and mm, issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I guess it yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's you an had, interesting question. Because you had a couple of different... I mean, we're behind. I, I, I think maybe, too, we're behind. I feel like America? we're behind. Okay, here's, here's exactly why that's wrong. We're not behind. Oh, shoot. I feel you're we're only behind because you're here, and then you see so much like, I guess like freedom. Yes. To like you have most that. of them, right? You have that. Yeah. But over there, I feel like where they're at, I feel like they're advancing so fast, and they're like asking for rights. They're doing all these different yeah, things, it's and like, there's like a huge shift. It's like the women's movement in the right. U.S. in the 1950s. Exactly. It, so I mean, I don't think like they're behind. I just think like no, they, I think we're behind. Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel the like US. they're doing amazing things. It's just but like they face like more tangible challenges is what I'm saying. Yes, I mean, but they're overcoming it. They're overcoming it, yeah. but they're, like, politically, they're where America was in the early 20th century. 
so they're trying to fight for basic rights. I mean, women just were able to drive in Saudi Arabia. I don't know where women can vote and not vote. I'm not sure, but like these are basic rights and until they gain these basic rights, then they have to step up, you know, to get these social equity. Yeah. There was I don't know, this is like a an article I wrote that said if women aren't educated or they're not part of like, you know, the the working force or whatever, there's no prosperity in the country's like economy. Right. As long as women are not educated. And because you're leaving behind fifty percent of the population or more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That, of course, you're not going to thrive. Yeah. I mean, it's very obvious. It's like our countries are behind in terms of technologically and uh, no, eco- economically. Yeah, dude, Te- come on. Technology? If, if you're going to compare the Middle East to America or China or the Europe, uh, the, Euro- the European uh, countries, economically, we're super behind. Let's be honest. Unless you're Saudi and you got a bunch of oil or you're the UAE. <laughs> I think, and that's what I'm saying. I think you're looking at it from like an American perspective. They're socially behind. No, but I'm saying there's there are reasons and there's are there are factors or why why we are behind. And one of them is because we were repressing our women's education, and that's just a product. That's a cause and effect. Like now we're feeling it, mm-hmm. but there's she's saying we're fighting. They're fighting for it, mm-hmm. but we're not talking about it here, because I mean I don't, I don't know why. Because we think they're behind. Not I don't think it's because we think. I mean she's saying technically they are behind. They're like Compared civil to our rights freedoms. are behind. Their their rights in of some, women in, are behind in, in some countries. Saudi Arabia, some, particularly. Yeah. but like other countries where they in Libya and in, Li- in Libya and Tunisia, women's voices in parliament is like twenty seven percent versus the U S. where it's like nineteen percent. Right. Libya and Tunisia. Yeah, they formed a new government and women like. I guess yeah. push to have. Then maybe part of it is that women are bonding together more. Yeah. And there's making, a movement. There's a movement. There's it's a, a movement. movement. Just like, you know, the yeah. women's wave here. But that's interesting because I never thought about it as you just put it. It's like the 1920s. There's a revolution happening. We're not even. Right. No one's talking about it. Yeah, no one's talking even, about it. You're shifting the paradigm because you take, oh. like, women have never been in these spaces or never been looked at. That's never been looked at as the norm. Mm-hmm. So women are trying to make that the norm by by asking that. Right. Yeah, by, by, demanding, by being in those spaces right. and demanding right, Demanding voices, voice, demanding right. representation, demanding all these things. So you, you're shifting the perspective. And I think that is what we need to do here as well. We need to make it normal for a woman to have a career and have children if that's what she wants and not oh. question it, you know, up and down. Can we talk about the craziest thing you've ever heard? Actually, though, let's just let's just rewind back. During our last uh, episode, Emma talked about how moms are like more conservative or like more uptight with their daughters. Mm-hmm. Do you think that limits them from achieving, I guess, success? Or, I mean, from because you're a girl. Because I mean, I know you have like two other sisters. Do you think your mom was like kind of more strict on you guys? And if that was the case, did it limit you from being who you are? Did you face more obstacles like than your brother? Yeah, I mean, and it's, I will say, I don't think it's just mothers. I think it's fathers, too. Mm -hmm. From my experience, maybe they don't come out and say it to your face because they don't want to hurt your feelings. But I think dads have that protectionalism as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So from parents, it, it sets you back because you love and respect your parents so much. And then you have these goals and this personal stuff that you want to achieve. But those two are 
mutually exclusive. If you're if you're doing one and you're satisfying yourself, you are upsetting your parents many, mm-hmm. many times. And so you have this pull. I love my parents. I respect them. I don't want to upset them. I have this goal. I want to achieve it. I want to do it. You know, what do I do? Yeah. So that, I think, is where women feel it more, you know, girls, Arabi girls feel it more, A, because there's more expectations on them as far as the strictness. They have a little less wiggle room, maybe in some families, not in all families, but these, you know, restrictions that are placed upon them, that's even more difficult to comply and follow their dreams, whereas guys maybe have a little more flexibility. And then women, I think, like girls tend to kind of feel that emotional pull more sometimes. We, we don't like to, you know, upset people. I'm speaking from my own experience. It's just, it's hard. What fascinates me is you're saying you, you experience and women, Muslim women experience this push against their education and maybe even from their parents as well. From our parents' perspective, why? Why do they believe that it is better to, I don't know, do the traditional, it's be a, a housewife. It's a protectionalism thing. They, they want their daughters to be happy. They want right, them that, to be protected. All it our parents out, want us to be happy. It comes happy. out of love. It really but it's, does. It's like, tough but, do they, like they, tough. they really believe that you would have... That you would be happier in that space. It's interesting. Because they want to shelter you from... I mean, the world is tough. <laughs> like, sure. as someone who's out there, it's not pretty. I think they've seen so it, much. Yeah. And they're like, we need to protect our kids from, like, seeing yes. all these, like, bad things. Amazing. And it's just like... Yeah. And that's how they go about it. And it's just like... I don't think they explain. I don't think they yeah. have the patience to so sit there and explain, like, why we are doing this. It's just like, Khalas, look, okay. this is how it's going to work, <laughs> yeah. and this is what's going to happen. And if you ask me a question, I'm going to give you a katla. <laughs> and that's the end of it. But how old are you? I'll still give you a katla. Here's the thing, too. Arabi parents care how others will view their children because they know how difficult that will be for their children. Image. So, like, there's been a couple times where my parents sure. will tell me, okay, you can do this. Don't tell anyone. Just do it. Don't tell them. Walk in for silence. example, like, oh, I have to take a trip over here, you know, for this conference. Okay, you can go, but, like, don't put it on Snapchat. You know, like, how many times does that happen? Because yeah. they know that <laughs> th- you're going to face backlash, and they want to protect you from that, which is totally valid. And if if we zoom out, they want to, like, this is my theory. They want to protect you against people's criticisms. Why is it because that that will ruin or maybe hinder your chance at marriage. Is that like the, I feel like that's the controlling thing, right? A lot of times it comes down to marriage. It comes down to your family's reputation. Right, that's true too, both. People will talk about it. And for women especially, I think they know the realities. And I will just say it is more difficult for a woman to get married in the way culture views things right now if she does have a career because there's always that underlying fear. How will she care for her family? Oh, you, you think know? so? You think the career... I think it's a lot more difficult for a, an educated career woman to find a partner than it is, you know, for a woman who maybe has less of... Um, I could be in a bubble, but I feel like... Myself and all my friends were like, well, yeah, we have to have a woman that's educated. Like she has educated, to a- but what about her job? That as well. I, <laughs> me personally, I will tell you. Education is one portion, right? right. Four years of college, but then what happens after that? What happens for the twenty-five? Yeah, you're right. I, me yeah. personally, it would have to be like a career because I know what I'm like. If I'm like I've I've been like I have I didn't have a job for three months. I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> And if I will not yeah. do that to my wife because I know how crazy I will fucking get if I'm just stuck in the house for three months. 
So for me, yeah, I would have to be a career, a passion, a purpose, and like something greater. Than right. They need to have. They need to be ambitious. They need to have goals. But I maybe I I'm just, in a bubble. But I feel like most. I, I mean, like, you think like well, that no. as well. I've, you'd be I've surprised. Had, I've had. I guess I would, dude. I've had. I've had. I have friends who are like residents who like finished med school, and who are literally looking for girls who are like don't have a career. All they want is just for them to like kind of be a stay-at-home moms and not do anything, not question any single thing in their life. Yeah. And a lot of guys think like that. Because it's the easy path. It's it's an easy way out. It's Unfortunately, it's a lot of what they saw from their parents because that was the structure of a lot of families. So it's a comfort level thing. Some people aren't used to the idea of two working parents, you know, or a partner that mm-hmm. would be in that realm. I'm in a bubble, right? I, I, I was assuming most people wanted a career career uh, woman with purpose and education and something um, greater to to pursue. You guys are saying you guys know the opposite. I think it's... Is it a common thread in the your organization for maybe, like, do these women have to fight their husbands for a career? Is this a, is this a thing? Okay. First, I will say I think it's very individual. I don't think you can say whether the majority of men view it this way or that way. For sure. And... I think a lot of women usually face more challenges with their parents because they don't choose their parents, right? So, you know, my dad doesn't want me to go to college. My dad doesn't want me to get this job. And, you know, he's trying to protect. We talked about all those reasons. Whereas with a spouse, you would hope if you pick a partner that it's more suitable. So I do not, I've never talked to a woman who has, you know, blatantly faced those issues, but I'm sure it happens and there's a struggle, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's my perspective. Yeah, in, in your in your organization, it isn't. Um, it it could be there, but it isn't. It isn't maybe necessarily it's not brought, really brought up. to the forefront. But I'm sure it's an issue women face. <laughs> now I want to go back for a second because I'm especially in more traditional marriages because perhaps you don't know what that person's expectations are of you and your role as a spouse. So maybe you haven't talked about those things up front, and then when it does come up. Yeah, There's an issue. which I mean, to talk about that obviously, like that's but so important, right? People don't talk yeah, about that. No, about. I don't think it's like talked about like from the beginning. If I think you're people gonna... just like assume like that's a person's oh perspective God. and that's their values and. Or they just ask that's... them very black and white, like, "Do you yeah. want to work when you have kids?" It's like, "Whoa, like, what, what's my job? Like, how many kids do I have?" You know, like people ask these questions with the expectation that you're gonna have this great answer about your plan, but it's like I missed the part where like I had kids already, or like what you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of a really really individual question and I think people expect women to know like what's your plan you know with your career and children and it's like mm, like what's your plan with like I don't know it's just it's a tough it's very individual so I want to go back for a second because first of all I love what you're doing you're paving a way right you're you're the one out here building the foundation for this network I'm also fascinated as not wh- why what someone is doing also but why and how that started and because your story is so similar to ours like what did it look like when you were in college with just with with your with your girlfriends like how did that start what did that look like and mm-hmm. yeah definitely so we were all kind of in different focus areas and right at that cusp where you're either deciding you want to apply to graduate school or you're looking at jobs so maybe senior year junior year we were all kind of hitting a wall because if we were pursuing graduate school, we had no idea how to go about it, or we were mm-hmm. piecing things together, like I said, the Craigslist story. And if we were looking for jobs, we were striking out. 
um, you know, my friend had done a program where she got her master's in public health along with her bachelor's. It was a five-year program. When she completed it, no job was there, but all of her, you know, classmates had something lined up or had gotten something. And it's not that she's any less intelligent or any less, you know, skillful. It's that she didn't have any connections or anyone Mm -hmm. to guide her. Um, Your network is your net worth. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So you guys were like, whoa, I... Yeah, we have a, we us. have all this education, but we don't know anybody. Yeah, we don't know anybody. We don't know what to do. We don't even know if we can do this, right? Like, because a lot of times when you're in this space and you don't see, a lot of times seeing is believing, right? So seeing another woman who's in that position, who's accomplished something that you're like, whoa, that's really cool. That's something I would do. Just seeing it's possible. And she's a Muslim woman who looks like you, who maybe shares your beliefs. You then believe or realize you can For do sure. it as well. And I mean, even me in my short time, I've only, I graduated law school in spring of 2017, so that was so recent, but I've just been floored by the number of Arabi and Muslim girls who have reached out to me for advice about applying to law school, getting through law school, interviewing for jobs, and it's such a gratifying feeling to be able to walk them through this because I've been there and I know exactly what to, you know, share with them that will really give them a leg up in going through that, um, and that's really ultimately what what it is that you need to advance faster than others is that you need the inside knowledge. You need someone who's been through it who can tell you, ABC, do this, don't do this. I you know. know. Don't waste time doing this. Here's how to do this. Here's an outline for your law school exam, you know, and it's it's super helpful. So you said that it's a gratifying feeling, right, that you get out of this? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Here we go. Okay, it's, it's... <laughs> I know I know what Betty's about to <laughs> shoot some fire, dude. I could... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm this... my ally. <laughs> This is this is gonna be a personal question. Um, <laughs> but as a lawyer, as mm-hmm. someone who um, co-founded MWPN, do you think all the stuff that you're doing now goes along with your life mission? My life mission. Yeah. Yeah, I think. It what does. is your life mission? What is my life mission? Dang, dude. Wow. I mean, part of my mission, I think, is to see women rise to their fullest potential to to see my daughters and when i say daughters i mean the generation behind me i don't know if i'm literally going to have daughters but to see the generation behind me rise to their fullest potential and be as happy and fulfilled in this life as they can possibly be and i think that's part of my mission and doing this is hugely gratifying because it helps me reach that doesn't only have to be women I'm not some man hater but like I said I think that women face unique issues that men don't Mm -hmm. and some of them are shared but some of them are unique and so I can speak to those unique issues and I don't want you know out of be girls growing up to face these things it breaks my heart like when I talk to a you know 19 year old girl who can't take an internship or can't pursue uh, education because somebody's stopping her, somebody's making her get married, or and she doesn't want that. But she also doesn't want to upset her family. Why should a, a young girl have to go through that struggle? And she's she's hindering herself. She's inhibiting her potential. So I've you know feel like I'm on a path where I'm happy with where I'm at and where I'm going. I'm nowhere near like where I want to be, but I feel like I have the pathway. And there's there's normal barriers standing in my way, but I don't have these crazy barriers that a lot of girls face because of their families or because of societal pressure. And so I want to like remove that for other women and help them reach 
their their goals and their dreams. Wow. That's a very, very thoughtful answer. That's your life mission, Amina? Yeah. Help women reach their potential, right. bro. What are you doing, Girl Mehdi? Oh, Mehdi? Exactly. Girls what are you doing, Mehmet? Damn. Uh, <laughs> I got a podcast. <laughs> so I brought this up last time during our last podcast. It was more about like how do our parents see us as adults mm-hmm. and like what triggers that? Like whenever you just, you know, transition between being their little baby until being a full adult. Right. When do you think your parents saw that transition with you? My Probably my first internship in law school. <laughs> When my dad heard what my salary was, he was like, he literally laughed. And he's like, you're kidding, right? And I was like, no, Baba, like, here's the letter. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> and I think for him, like, that sparked it and that changed it because obviously he gave up his whole life just to work for us and provide, like, financial mm-hmm. support for us. So I think for him, like, that's huge. Like, that's something very tangible. Such out of, out of that That's very right? That's very out of but, but it's real. And, like, whenever – and it's, like, really embarrassing, but, like, when my dad <laughs> – bragged about me he's like do you know how much Amina's making in her job <laughs> I'm like Baba stop like, but because he's proud because like this is something that like for him is like a tangible outcome like right, wow right. my daughter achieved this she got in this space where most people don't get and like for my mom I think like having that adult relationship it, it kind of just came about I think as she wasn't responsible for me anymore so she mm-hmm. didn't have to care for me so she didn't have to worry about me and obviously moms still worry my sisters are both married and my mom will blow up their phones if she doesn't hear from them after you know two hours but but not being responsible and having to care it let us develop a true friendship where we take care of each other but i think (laughs) that's usually the when she's viewed as an adult right is when she's married when she's married exactly so but for me i had to like break past that i hope my parents view me as an adult i think they do but I, i think it was that being independent like demonstrating that I don't need them, but I mm-hmm. love them and I want them as right. part of my life, obviously. So then building that, and it's still uncomfortable for them, but they're getting yeah, yeah. there. You know, they're getting there. So we've had Yansuin today with our guest Cheers. Amina. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Apparently, cheering, cheersing is haram. <laughs> yeah, you guys haram. ever heard about? Yeah. Like, why is that? But anyway, um, Amina Musa, <laughs> thank you for thank you guys for, for having, having this was for fun. coming and for sharing. It was really fun. And for saying all these amazing things, um, inshallah, your MWPN continues with more success. You Thank continue you. to expand. Follow and us on Instagram, MWPNSTL. Yeah, I'm going to give you guys Facebook, a follow. Facebook, Muslim Women's Professional Network. And I mean, actually, this is the second time she's in the NPR studio. <laughs> she was here a few weeks ago was, talking about MWPN to, with Don Marsh. Oh, yeah, on the radio. radio. Yep. Yeah. So she's I'm she's not new. Viral. Yeah, she's. I'm was an old, it this? I'm an old pro. The same studio? No, the bigger one. The bigger one. Ooh, excuse yeah. me. But yeah, um, thank you all for listening. This has been wonderful, and we'll see you guys soon. Assalamu alaikum. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>